Hello and welcome to Straight Talk, Supply Chain Insights, the podcast for your supply chain leader who is on the go and wants to be in the know. And now, your host, Laura Sassiri. Focusing on how to maximize the value of SAP planning investments. SAP is unique in that over 40% market share for supply chain planning is with SAP planning investments. And as we'll talk, most companies have the highest awareness of SAP and the highest deployment. However, with the announcement of SAP APO being discontinued in 2025, a lot of companies are calling me to say, what should they do? What are the next steps? And here what I'm going to do is talk about how to maximize current investments and to rationalize next steps with SAP. These slides are shared as part of our monthly webinar series. It's based upon research. And I invite you to share these with others in your organization. And if you have any questions, please send them our way. So maximizing the value of SAP investments. As we think about what that means, it means different things for different companies. But let's start with let me tell you a little bit about myself so you get a perspective of who you're speaking with today. I'm an industry analyst. I have been an industry analyst with Gartner Group, AMR Research, and on my own for over 15 years. And I also have had manufacturing experience and building software and have spent about 25 years in the supply chain planning space. I write for LinkedIn, I write for Forbes, I also write on my blog. And I want to ground us today in the discussion by going back and talking about what is planning. Planning is a type of decision support. There are different levels of planning. There's strategic planning, which is looking out over a long horizon to be able to look at assets and resources and to be able to look at how we do source make and deliver together there's tactical planning which is from the period of the slush duration and manufacturing out to look at capacity there's operational planning which is looking at the order duration and the setup of manufacturing and procurement and then there's the executional period which is in the order duration and then the transactional data Enterprise resource planning is a kind of a misnomer because it's focused only on the enterprise and there's not a lot of planning in ERP. ERP is primarily a system of record and more a system of record and focused on transactional system of record than it is focused on planning. But when we look at usage of planning, this is from recent research that we have done when we asked business users, and this was a study that we finished in 2018, and it was a business user of 50 companies, we asked, which supply chain planning system do you use most often, and what are you the most aware of? And so you can see the use most often is spreadsheets. And in fact, 68% of what happens in planning today is in spreadsheets. 12% is with custom software and used most often, followed by SAP APO, followed by Oracle, followed by SAP IBP, which was released on HANA, then OM Partners, Canaxis, JDA, Legility, Best of Breed. 
So SAP APO has significant mind share, significant investment, and there's a shift from APO to IBP causing people to say, what do I do? You know, and how do I think about my planning systems? Because not all companies are created the same. 54% of companies have forecasting, 44% have tactical supply planning, 41% have production scheduling, 24% have a unique technology for SNOP, and then we have order promising, inventory optimization, and transportation planning. So this are these are the solutions that are the most often deployed from the SAP environment. But when we look at overall satisfaction, this isn't just SAP, this is looking at all planning deployments, only 48% of companies surveyed are satisfied or somewhat satisfied with their current solutions. And we have an equal number of not satisfied or neutral. And so the overwhelming is kind of, ah, you know, it's a flip of the coin in terms of how people feel about their planning. And one of the issues is that most planning has been focused on functional excellence. How do I get within a silo, manufacturing or transportation or distribution to work better? But not really, how do I get source, make and deliver to work better together? And one of the issues is that functional excellence does not deliver maximum business value. And the most effective end-to-end -end strategy is not transactional efficiency. So many people that have come from SAP deployments are very focused on transactional efficiency. And only 30 to 40% of data that's needed in planning is coming from the transactional systems. And so often many people that have deployed SAP will say, you know, I need to do end-to-end -end planning, but what they're really looking at is order to cash or deliver, forecast to deliver. And they're not necessarily thinking about a broader definition of supply chain planning. And when we think about maximizing the value of SAP, we've got to ask ourselves, what is that end-to-end -end vision? And what do we do about 2025? If APO is going away, do we take it to legacy and hire a third party to support it, which is an option? Do we invest in SAP IBP, which is an option? Do we invest in other best of breed providers, which is an option? Or do we rethink planning in totality for the autonomous supply chain? And so there's real tension in this discussion. And the right answer gets to, you know, how mature is the company and how risk adverse is the company, how focused is the company on standardization. There's no one right answer. And what I want to do today in this webinar as a goal is to sensitize you to how to think about this. Because planning is essentially taking data, pumping it into engines, giving a plan to drive outputs. And most companies do not have sufficient planning master data for their engines, but they've not fine-tuned their engines and their data is dirty. And they're one of the reasons that they're not happy with the plan output. So it isn't just that people have a problem with SAP. People have a problem with overall planning systems planning productivity, planning usage. And 
even though you know, I think we can talk about how SAP could improve planning, it's not a problem with SAP, it's a problem with the space in totality. And one of the issues is that businesses are complex. You know, the original design when I was at Gartner in 2001 was that we were going to have a single instance of ERP. We were going to put planning on top of it. It's called ERP2. It is that easy. You know, we've got 12 instances on average of ERP. And, you know, it's a complex business environment as we talk about global supply chains. I was talking to a company yesterday that had 39 instances of SAP. I was talking to a company the day before that had 100 instances of SAP. So businesses are complex. So what I'm going to talk to you about is, given that they're complex, given that SAP is the market leader, given that there's a lot of tension around 2025, how do we maximize what we have today? And then how do we think about 2025? And as we go along, I'd love to have your questions. So you can put your questions in the question box. And we will be recording and sharing this with LinkedIn listeners and also on YouTube. So share it with your team. So one of the first things in the deployment of SAP is to not peanut butter your supply chain, meaning that you treat all of the items and all of the flows in your supply chain the same. One of the very best instances of SAP actually looked at the flows and typed the supply chain and optimized the engines, both in forecasting and tactical supply planning and APO, SMP, to be able to fine tune those engines. They backcasted forecasting based upon where the items were in the long tail of the supply chain. They looked at the rhythms and cycles of the supply chain. They fine tuned the engines on the supply side on SMP. And they ran the engine and they tested to see if they had a good plan. Most people don't take the time to backcast. Backcasting is a process in forecasting where we take two to three years of history and we try to use the two to three years to forecast a known entity. For example, I was talking to a client yesterday about backcasting to take 2016, 2017 to test the engines in SAP for 2018 because it's known. 2019 has more volatility to look at based upon rhythms and cycles how well those engines are doing on improving forecasting and to measure that by forecast value add to say if I didn't forecast if I just looked at what I sold last month what is the value that forecasting is giving me so backcasting accompanied by forecast value add is important and then tune the engines. Likewise, when we're into the rhythms and cycles on the supply side, grouping it by technology or grouping it by constraint and testing the engines for feasibility. We don't have one supply chain. We typically have four to five supply chains. And these are based upon rhythms and cycles. So we have our efficient supply chain, which is the lowest cost per unit, the agile supply chain, where I've got very high demand volatility, typically very low volume, and I want to have the same cost quality and customer service based upon demand and supply volatility. And that's where you need different techniques in forecasting and you really want to 
focus carefully and finite scheduling when you're in the agility piece of the supply chain. And then the responsive supply chain, which is the shortest lead time, where I need to work on push-pull decoupling points, inventory strategies, and that's actually something that's part of the Smart Ops acquisition that's now on SAP IVP that allows you to look at inventory buffers and decoupling points. Getting clear on the objective based upon the rhythms and cycles of the supply chain is important to be able to maximize value on flows and to design. So the rhythms of the supply chain are demand predictability, supply volatility, production reliability, seasonality, customer sentiment, any bottlenecks. And the cycles are really about lead times and uh, how you're going to run factories and delivery and cycles and cure times. So getting clear on rhythms and cycles and getting clear on the engines and testing the engines to make sure they're giving good output is essential because every company I work with has a long tail of the supply chain and the very high volume, very predictable items which are in the efficient supply chain are pretty easy to forecast. But as we get into the responsive supply chain and the agile supply chain, you got to fine tune the engines. And you know the good thing is SAP allows you to bring in other optimizers to do that. So when we look at planning, we've got a lot of boxes. And historically, what has happened is these boxes don't talk very well together. In the 1990s, I worked for a company called Manologistics, and we had actually distribution planning separate from manufacturing planning. I2 brought it together. SAP followed I2, brought the tactical supply planning for mass reduction scheduling together. But we never actually exploded tactical supply planning and forecasting into demand sensing until about 2003. With the evolution of IBP, SAP has deployed a demand sensing module and has deployed an inventory optimization module and has worked on extending into SNOP. However, as we move into the autonomous supply chain, because we're on parallel paths. On one path, SAP is evolving APO to IBP. On a separate path, we are rethinking planning in totality to say, should we have these boxes? Should we have so many boxes? How do we consume across these boxes? How do we use cognitive computing? And so early adopters will bypass SAP in totality or put cognitive computing on top of APO and the people that are more conservative will follow the migration path of SAP. But essentially what's happening in the evolution of SAP is the red represents APO, the pink represents additional for IBP, Ariva is in the supply networks, but SAP doesn't have a tool like GT Nexus within for on logistics networks, not a lot of work on demand networks. And the IBP functionality is still evolving. Um, I get mediocre uh, feedback on it. It's expensive compared to the market, but it is an evolution path if you test the engines and they fit. Now, part of what IBP allows you to do is to look at form and function of inventory. And one of the great opportunities for form and function of inventory where you've got 
form of what inventory form should it be in? Should it be in supplier-owned inventory, company-owned inventory, work in process, finished goods at a company warehouse, or finished goods in the channel? The higher the demand volatility, the more I want to push the form of inventory backwards. I want to hold more as raw materials. And the function of inventory, whether it's in transit inventories or cycle stock, gives us an opportunity in the IBP to actually start to work on the differences of inventory. The traditional supply chain, ABO and other tools, focus primarily on safety stock. So the ability to get at form and function of inventory is very helpful because if you look at inventory values, inventories have increased in the supply chain post-recession, not gone down. And people want an agile supply chain. They feel today that the supply chain is very controlled, but they want it to be you know, responsive and they want it to be agile. And a large part of agility and alignment is getting clear on the flows, getting the engines to align with the flows, building agility into the supply chain in the long tail and driving proactivity. So the first thing to do with SAP is to recognize that you don't have one supply chain you have multiple supply chains, and to test the engines for those supply chains in a very deliberate way, and we'll talk about measurement as follow-up. The second is to augment analytics. 68% of supply chain decisions are made by Excel spreadsheets, and Excel spreadsheets just don't do a complex nonlinear system very well. In fact, one of the obvious things about planning maturity is, what is your dependency on Excel spreadsheets? And so what happens in companies that have not aligned the engines and don't measure the effectiveness of planning, they'll have a lot of Excel spreadsheets operating in what I call Excel ghettos. And these Excel ghettos are isolated, disconnected, and you want to try to eliminate that and improve demand accessibility. So Companies want to have data-driven decisions. They want to get to the data to make decisions, and they want to maximize the value of analytics. But if you think about planning, most planners represent 5 to 10% of back office operations. There was a large chemical company the other week, and 300 planners, 18,000 people in the back office. Those 18,000 people in the back office want to know what the 300 people in planning know around capacity, around reliability, around availability to promise. And so getting to data, getting planning data exposed to the larger organization is an opportunity. And augmenting planning with descriptive analytics and relational search is a great opportunity. I was at an event last week with ThoughtSpot, and ThoughtSpot is a enterprise relational search, which allows people to basically search for data on top of planning data. <clears throat> it allows you to ask the questions that you don't know to ask when you do reporting and get data at the speed of business, sort of like a Google search bar on top of planning. Many people are working on data visualization with Tableau or Spotfire or Click. Putting that kind of descriptive analytics on top of planning data, Power BI, helps the planners to be able to get fewer calls and exposes the larger organization to planning decisions. 
of perhaps it's a manufacturing schedule or schedule adherence and allows people to be able to get to data. So augment analytics, try to reduce Excel spreadsheets and do this based upon cultural fit. So if you're an early adopter, <coughs> you may wanna go into more advanced analytics. If you're leaning last, you may wanna be more conventional. And here's some augmentation strategies to consider. If you're an innovator and you're looking at how do you build value networks, building those planning engines out through value networks with contract packers, you know, you may be working on EDI, you may be focused on a control tower strategy, you may be looking at multi-tier ATP. I'm working with a lot of innovators around sensing through multi-tier canonicals, many-to-many -many models, one type of this is Ariba, but bringing that planning data through the network to be able to look at bi-directional. And then when we're looking at supply chain planning, the laggards are looking at traditional planning, the boxes that I showed you, and maybe they're dipping their toes in multi-tier inventory optimization or looking at demand sensing, which is part of IVP. But many are looking at concurrent planning. Should I have all those boxes at all? And you know, can I combine boxes? And how do I take planned orders out of tactical supply into transportation planning and procurement? And how do I redefine planning through cognitive computing? So there's a parallel path that's happening on the migration of APO to IVP that people are starting to redefine planning. And they're also starting to define planning to be outside in, to be able to look at channel data and to be able to look at sensor data from manufacturing, sensor data from transportation, and building outside engines. And so the outside in engines will make what's happening in SAP APO and IBP obsolete. So whether it's ontologies or outside in processes, we've got a lot of tension in the market. And another technology that's promising is the ability to have the digital twin, particularly with cognitive digital twin, the opportunity is to overlay it on top of SAP APO to be able to look at what if analysis and to be able to look at constraints to help with leadership discussions. But people say, well, you know, if the digital twin matures, do I need APO at all? Or could I have, you know, an autonomous supply chain with the digital twin? And this is part of what we're seeing as the supply chain evolves. So First, we're gonna work on flows. Then we're gonna augment with analytics. We're gonna augment with analytics based upon the cultural norms. The next thing is measurement. You know, we talked about transactional efficiency, functional silos do not create value for the firm. And instead, we have to have a cross-functional balance scorecard, which allows us to balance trade-offs of customer service, growth, profitability, cycles, and complexity and driving the maximization of engines and planning, whether it's SAP or any other company, requires that we measure all functions based upon the balanced scorecard. And then what happens is we can work on a schema where the functions are reinforced for reliability. So customer service could be reinforced for customer ship complete or hands-free orders or returns. And perhaps logistics can be orders shipped reliably or manufacturing is OEE. 
But what you see here is I have not put cost metrics into the functions. I have not put inventory metrics into the functions. Instead, what I recommend is that companies come up with a corporate bonus, and I just say here like 60%, which allows people to work on the trade-offs. All of the use of planning requires that all of the functions are aligned to the same trade-offs, and then the functions can really drive reliability. If we can get the planning engines to drive reliability, then that can lift the performance of the balanced scorecard. And important metrics to measure in planning are forecastability. So if you have APO or you have IBP, I would encourage you to measure forecastability. How hard is it for you to measure error and bias if you don't have any forecasting engine? What is the natural error and bias of each of your demand streams based upon what we talked about in rhythms and cycles? Getting to an understanding of forecastability helps you with the next point around forecast value add. How effective is your engine in driving forecast improvement against the naive forecast, which for most companies is a forecast uh, compared to the prior month shipments? So this is May. Most companies would have had a May forecast. And if they said, you know, if I did nothing and I said in May I was going to ship the same thing I shipped in April, how much better is my forecast? And if you're not a seasonal product company, naive forecast is usually a pretty good bet. But what I see is many companies do a lot of elaborate things like sales forecasting and, you know, demand uh, shaping and trade promotions, but they don't hold themselves accountable for forecast value add, baseline lift, and are they making the forecast better? And then the other thing is in the master production schedule, is the plan feasible? Was production able to consume the plan on a monthly or weekly basis down into a daily or shift basis and to have a feasible plan? Were we able to model constraints effectively? And how much rework was required? It's a measurement of productivity and the consumption of that tactical plan. And when we get that tactical plan, what was the schedule adherence at a daily or a shift layer level of that plan? Because what we want to do is take the reactive nature of the organization out through planning. And then in transportation, were the lanes that were tendered, what percentage of those were actually accepted on the first pass on routing? and on customer service on time and full. So if you're able to focus on what is the value of planning, optimize the engines, then you're able to drive a much higher level of value. Now, when we look at the performance of most used supply chain planning software, and if you remember, the most used software is SAP, and we look at the ability to have a feasible plan, and to drive the level of intelligence and performance that most companies need, there's a gap. Uh, and there's a gap often that's bigger with SAP. However, most of the time it happens because companies don't work on the optimization of the engines going into the deployment 
and they just implement the technology. So backcasting, looking at, are you getting a feasible plan? Are you able to drive that feasible plan into consumption is important. The other thing is build talent, right? The, probably the biggest missing link in the supply chain is talent. A lot of deployments that I see for SAP were implemented a decade ago, not a lot of training, not a lot of upgrading, not a lot of fine tuning of the engines. And so when we look at people and we look at job satisfaction, the lowest planning satisfaction happens to be with millennials and happens to be often with the manufacturing uh, end user. Uh, so, you know, that's not a good state of affairs. Vendors and academics are far more satisfied. So when we ask employees and planning about what their challenges are, they want to understand next generation supply chain thinking. They want the planning systems to be as easy as their personal lives. And that's a stretch because SAP, like all planning systems, are not that easy. And then they want to find employees with the right skills or experience. And we find a gap in often analytic skills, optimization, understanding how to work with data. And they also want to get support from the executive team. The best read blog post on my blog is, have you given your demand planner some love today? I find most executives don't understand that there's some basics in planning that you know they need to support. One of them is demand error is demand error, right? I've seen a number of employees, you know, go to their office very crestfallen when their bosses tell them to rework the demand plan to reduce error. Well, error is a fact of the supply chain. I've seen a lot of supply chains with 60% error and it's just the way it's going to be. New product launch has a 70 to 75% error and it happens because it's just the way it is. We can reduce bias by how we actually drive. We can improve responsiveness by using outside-in data. But error is error. And so the support of the executive team is very important. So if we measure, if we design the flows, if we optimize, then we can drive improvements. But let's look forward. Now, I talked about how there's tension on 2025. Do I take APO to IBP? Do I... Uh, wait for the evolution of new technologies. And this is an important piece because as we look at the movement from inside out to outside in thinking, where we're building value networks, we're using different forms of data, and we're using structured and unstructured data, we're going to see a radical redefinition of supply chain planning Cloud-based deployment, I'm seeing solutions that are being deployed for manufacturing, scheduling, and production planning that, you know, are one-fifth the cost of SAP, very small for small organizations. Streaming data, being able to look at market data, pull schema on read and forecasting. So we're seeing a lot of change in supply chain planning. And the evolution of new forms of analytics where we can use prescriptive and cognitive analytics. So the traditional supply chain planning, whether it's SAP or any other system, you know, we use pretty traditional optimization. Uh, and if we improve cognitive engines and we build ontologies, we would have the ability to collapse the boxes, to be able to have sense respond and to make trade-offs across source, make, and deliver more readily. 
And so what's happening in parallel with the movement from APO to IBP is the evolution of cognitive engines and machine learning for data cleansiness, cleanliness and then to be able to look at sensing and learning and acting and a whole new set of planning to be able to evolve cognitive engines. So I guess the question is, what do you do, right? You know, do you can maximize the value of current SAP investments through optimizing the flows, working on the engines, augmenting the analytics, aligning the metrics, building the talent. My caution is don't jump quickly into IBP because my references tell me that they often did it because of standardization, they wanted an SNOP system, but it costs large sums of money, it costs a lot of time, and then there was usually a lot of system enhancements and upgrades. My references are cautious. The IT community is far more bullish on IBP than the business leaders. The business leaders talk to me about capabilities of modeling and how they wanted more in this evolution of IBP. And the bet to move from APO to IBP is a big bet. It's a cost a lot of money. Do you go to an alternative best of breed provider like Canaxis or Owen Partners? That's also a big step, right? Because, you know, again, we're talking about significant sums of money and time. Or do you wait for this next generation of technologies and planning? And that's really the tension of what do you do? Different organizations will respond differently. It's not straightforward. So my observation is maximize the value of what you have today. Train your people, measure, build the flows, work on network design, fine tune your engines, maximize the value of what you have today. Wait and see what happens in this evolution of planning before you jump. And then don't expect a step change in planning short term, but I think by five years, we're gonna see a radical departure in planning. So that's my advice. Let's see what kind of questions that we have from the audience for the dialogue. Is IBP the advanced version of APO? Well, you know, what's happening is IBP is an evolution of planning by SAP, but it's a very different footprint. It's uh, IBP is on HANA, APO was, you know, on the um, more traditional SAP architecture. So I can't say that it's a more advanced version of APO, it's a recreation of planning by SAP, but it is what is being pushed into the market with the decision to discontinue APO in 2025. Is there one industry where IBP does better than another? Well, I think that where you have few constraints and you've got very established practices and not a lot of modeling complexity, uh, IBP does better than when you've got a long tail, very high demand error and very complicated processes. Okay, next question is, what about HANA? I'm mainly experienced in Oracle. Well, HANA is a database play for SAP, and it's really working on concurrent uh, in memory. And, uh, you know, I think there's uh, more coming on HANA, but HANA scalability in time phase data for planning has been problematic. And so uh, there's some caution about the HANA migration. And 
do we go from HANA, which is another schema on write, or do we wait for Microsoft and more schema on read? The most advanced uh, technologies are moving to schema on read. Uh, so HANA is basically a different way of uh, working at the database level, which when companies have Oracle DBAs, you know, that requires training and advancements, and it's a whole new way of thinking. So that has its own change management issues. Next question is about JDA. Uh, you know, what is HANA and what is Ariba? Well, I answered what is HANA. Uh, Ariba is a supplier network that was set up for indirect procurement and is moving to direct procurement. And it is uh, evolving for direct procurement, but still has a long way to go. All right, well, that addresses our questions today. We appreciate you joining our webinar. I want to remind you that uh, we have our Supply Chain Insights Conference, which is coming up in September. Excited about what the program's gonna be. I handpick all the presentations there. We'll be talking about cognitive engines and analytics and many of the topics that we have here. And then we also have our business to business conference that will be happening in November and December of this year, November in Europe and Antwerp. It'll be last week in November and uh, it'll be in December in Chicago. And this will focus on what's a quality blockchain, blockchain case studies, um, supplier onboarding, ISO 8000 standards, and how to really drive B2B. And so, uh, you know, we hope that you'll join us for any of these conferences. The B2B conference in Europe is the 26th to 28th in Antwerp, and uh, it is December 3rd to 5th in Chicago at UI Labs. And this will be our first conference that we'll actually be having in Europe. Um, Got a question here of the recent SAP and Camelot partnerships to deliver DDMRP. Um, you know, DDMRP is interesting. It's a translation of demand into procurement to make uh, MRP more robust, but still does not do much to, you know, do a step change in planning. It's still inside out. Uh, you know, it helps where we've got a lot of issues with volatility in MRP or volatility in demand that, you know, is basically translated under conventional processes with large bullwhip. DDMRP allows us to translate demand with buffer strategies so that we can do a better job of procurement. I think it's a baby step uh, to uh, the evolution of planning. Uh, and I really look forward to step change innovation by SAP. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. So if you have any questions, uh, drop us a line. Uh, the way that, uh, you know, we can, you know, follow each other is this is how you can follow the work that we do. It's independent research uh, and we do these webinars monthly. Thank you very much. All the best.